0: You're listening to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast with Mark LaCour and Jake Corley. This is the show for busy oil pros who quickly
1: want to keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. Welcome back to another episode of Oil & Gas. This week, you're listening to episode 144, and Mark is out today. So I've got my good buddy, business partner, best friend, brother, Colin McClellan with me. What's up, Colin? What's going on? He's here to to lay down the truth. If you don't know Colin, Colin is like probably the most. Would you? How would you describe yourself?
0: The most polarizing figure of oil and gas.
1: He seems to make these posts on LinkedIn that go viral, uh, and so either you you love him or you hate him. So hopefully, you love him after this episode. So if you don't know Colin, uh, he's in, he's definitely involved in everything that I do from Wellhub. He also runs Reverse Natural Resources, uh, which is you know our operating company. So he heads that up. <laughs> Anything else you want to say about yourself?
0: Yeah, no, no, just a little background about me. Spent the last nine years in drilling and completions all over the Western Hemisphere, but primarily United States and Gulf of Mexico. And just involved uh, with running River Oaks Natural Resources and Well Hub, So we got a lot of exciting things going on.
1: A lot of big things coming. Colin and I are also going to be dropping a new podcast here soon on OGGN. We're not going to say necessarily what it is, but today's episode will kind of give you a hint towards the direction that the show will be going. Yeah, it's going to be um, awesome. So this episode is very tech heavy. So if you have no interest in tech, probably go ahead and shut it off right now. <laughs> a, lot, get, a lot of cool stuff. Though. A lot of really, really interesting stuff. It just shows that there's a lot of hype around tech in our industry. Before we get into it, uh, if you want to help the show, if you enjoy listening, the biggest thing you can do to help us out is leave a review. I'm going to read off a few that we got recently. We got one that says, this is a great podcast to follow. Thanks for this podcast. It is a great one-stop shop for what is happening in the oil and gas industry. I'm a senior analyst in the fleet industry, and I periodically share the podcast with my company's leadership team on fuel forecasts that is distributed on a monthly basis. Uh, The links to articles that you provide under each episode are really helpful. Keep up the great work. We got one more uh, great show. I just want more shows. Uh, I know you travel a lot, but a greater frequency of shows throughout the month would be appreciated. Thanks for what you do. So we are actually, you know, like we've talked about, we're releasing more podcasts on the network. I don't know if we can put out more on oil and gas this week. There's only so much oil and gas news to go around, to be honest with you. Uh, (laughs) We got some good shows coming up though. Yeah, some really good shows coming up. So uh, listen to some of the other shows. We've already got the uh, the HS&E podcast, if you're interested in that uh, with Patrick Pister. We've got the Industry Leaders podcast with uh, Paige Wilson. And then Colin and I have our super secret sn- Top secret confidential <laughs> secrets quarrel <laughs> podcast but yeah anyways uh so let's get into the stories like i said it's very tech heavy today this first article i came across uh definitely hit close to home so conoco phillips is, is claiming to have figured it out and i think they really have they're claiming that they've figured out their big data problem and they've created what they call is like more of like their data hub that is quote unquote acting as a nucleus for data analytics and data integration. So if you've listened to this show at all in the last year, you've heard me talk about my company, Wellhub. Uh, you know, what like, like, like I said, Colin's involved in that. And it's this pretty much is, is exactly what we've been working on building. So I'm super excited that ConocoPhillips Phillips is is kind of taking the initiative and has been working towards building something like this. Plus, they have some really cool statistics and hard data. On the efficiencies that this type of system has uh, driven for them, so you know if you if you've spent any time uh, in the office dealing with any kind of the administrative work on on the data side, you understand you know engineers today are spending sixty to eighty percent of their time. uh, Aggregating and kind of uh, preparing data in order to analyze it and report on it and stuff. And so ConocoPhillips is saying that you know they wanted to switch that around to where you know it's uh, only you know ten to twenty percent aggregation preparation and more like eighty to ninety percent actual yep. analysis. Well, that that's 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 huge problem. Let's
0: be honest, it's about time too, right? Yeah. Because I mean, how many years do you have to be working off of you know fifteen or twenty different spreadsheets, you know, that are spread across different platforms, or you have information that's stored on some engineer's hard drive, you can't make smart data-driven decisions if you don't have the data centralized in one location to be able to analyze it. So it's good to see that some of these majors are starting to realize that and take a serious look at it.
1: Yeah, one of the things they wrote here is uh, in in doing basic analysis on something such as well-performance, something as simple as well-performance, an engineer can spend weeks merely collecting data related to subservice operations, maintenance, and finance. And they're looking to completely bypass this time-consuming data curation process and begin performing analysis right off the bat. And that's really the, the mission of what we've been trying to do with WellHub as well is, is provide operators with effortless data-driven decisions. You know, the data aggregation side of things is not sexy. Uh, you talk to anybody outside the industry and they're like, yeah, I don't really get it. You know, it's, it's, this has been in other industries forever. It's just amazing that this has never really been done in oil and gas. So we are obviously super excited. So let's go into some of the stats they've got listed here. Deployment for ConocoPhillips has resulted in improved well uptime, decreased drilling times, optimized completion designs, increased understanding of subsurface characteristics, that's a mouthful, (laughs) drill 80% more wells per rig, recover 20% more hydrocarbons per well, and achieve an 8% increase in direct operating efficiency. Those last two are the most important to me. Recover 20% more hydrocarbons per well
0: and achieve an 8% increase in direct operating efficiency because what we've tended to see in the past from EMPs is that they focus on one, when you talk about new technology, they're typically talking about downhole tech, you know, how to, how to drill a well better, which is understandable. You know, it's extremely complicated to drill a well, but not enough companies are focusing on efficiency and productivity from their current assets. And if they can use software and analytics from the data that they're able to retrieve and centralize, then I think that's probably where we're going to see the biggest change in the industry is being able to become more efficient on current assets that you possess.
1: Yeah, oil and gas has traditionally been like this, this siloed industry. And so every department has their own little silos of data, like you mentioned, and information is all over the place. And, you know, it's unstructured and, and like, like it said, it just basic analysis of well performance can take just a significant amount of time, yep. you know, and also something that that hits close to home for us. Imagine like, you know, the due diligence that we did on our wells. You know, that wasn't a very large package, but that took us a significant amount of manpower because we were having to analyze pages and pages of logs and documents. Yeah. Think,
0: think about when you're putting together these data rooms, if you have all of your data centralized on a platform where it can, you know, be retrieved quickly, you, know, you, you cut down the the manpower, the time, which ultimately saves money to put together these data rooms and take it to market. So that's a very big advantage.
1: You can help on both sides of the fence too. So you can help companies put together data rooms, uh, you know, say put together, instantly put together. If you have all the information in one location, we can instantly put together a data room on 5,000 wells, right? Yeah. And then on the opposite side, you know, if somebody was using, well, obviously shameless plug, you know, they'd be <laughs> able to instantly run very very uh, advanced analytics on the analyzation side
0: you know taking it further you look at a software like well hub where you're going to have real-time data showing the economics of a well uh, or a lease and you can see in real time okay how is this how is this asset performing and if it's not providing you a positive roi You know, at that point, you you can know that hey, you know, we should probably divest out of this asset, get it out of our portfolio, and then you have all of your data there for the data room, and you can move that asset out of your portfolio quickly. So that's uh, that's going to be huge benefit.
1: Exactly. You know, it just makes sense, and obviously, we get super hyped up about this kind of stuff. Another thing that they were talking about, and this is also something that we've, we've built into WellHub, was uh, ConocoPhillips has built uh, physics-based models uh, being augmented by emerging data science capabilities, such as multivariate analysis and algorithm tools to develop optimization models. So it's really the com- combination of the two, so the traditional knowledge and methods with emerging analytic capabilities. So what we, we call this pretty much our data studies, and so it allows, obviously, all your information is in one location, so now you can take real-time information from all of your assets and now we can apply. We can create these hypothetical scenarios where you can run these scenarios to kind of find out. Okay, what if the economics of this change? What if production just completely dips? What if this? What if that? And then instantly run those because we're we're leveraging the latest technologies. We can actually run these KPIs in real time, to where before SQL couldn't even handle it. I mean, if if companies were even using SQL. Yeah. Luckily, and uh,
0: I, you know, and I've I've you know my previous experience, I've been on contingency jobs where they're trying to decide if they want to move forward with a, a certain process or, or workover, or if they want to go another route and, you know, you're, you're using a Excel sheet to do your, well, financial analysis, and it's just not very accurate or efficient. So I think that's the, the, the whole modeling, you know, being able to take data, input information, model different scenarios. I think that's going to cut down on a lot of mistakes that we see in the field.
1: So if this if this gets you hype, this gets you really worked up. You know, we we've been talking about you know what Wellhub is coming to the market here soon. If you don't know, uh, I, I've been working on raising funds over the last year. We've raised a very good amount of money so far, and we wanted to do something different. You know, being more of an innovative company, we wanted to challenge. I mean, we we consistently challenge you know the conventional logic of why things have been done the way they've done, and we've seen a huge interest in more of a crowdfunding models. You know, we've seen mm-hmm. ICOs take off, we've seen regulation crowdfunding and reg A plus and reg D's take off. And so we want to do something that never been done before. So we partnered with energy funders, which we've talked about before. Uh, we had the the CEO, Casey Minshew, and our tech panel, if you were in attendance for that, about, was it last month?
0: Yeah. yeah. yeah so a only a few weeks
1: ago. Weeks ago yeah. And, you know, he kind of spoke about the platform a little bit. Uh, great conversation, by the way. I think we're going to do that again soon. But we partnered with them, and we are hosting a, a, a regulation crowdfunding raise for WellHub on their platform. Uh, by the time you guys listen to this, it will be live. Yeah. Um, and the,
0: the really cool thing, you know, uh, to kind of touch point on that is before the these, startups were exclusive to venture capital, private equity, angel investors, but with regulation crowdfunding, it's open to any American investor accredited or non-accredited. So it's a really good opportunity as we come into this uh, technological revolution, as I like to call it in oil and gas, uh, Americans will actually be able to invest directly into these startups that are revolutionizing the oil and gas business. So that's really cool.
1: Yeah, it's super exciting. So, I mean, like, like Colin said, anybody, uh, accredited or non-accredited investors, can participate. Uh, and the biggest reason we wanted to go this route was, uh, you know, I, we wanted we wanted the industry to be vested in not only our success, but, you know, consequently their success as well. You know, there's, there's a ton of hype around what we've been doing and working on, uh, so diligently for, you know, for the past few years. Uh, and we're super excited and it's hard to, it's hard to be patient. It's hard to keep things under wraps, you know? And so everybody's like, ah, we want to see it. We want to see it. You know, we want to, when can we try it out at our company, but the time is, is very, very soon. So if you're interested, I'm going to put a link in the show notes, or you can just go over to energy funders and register. or. If If you just want to go to energyfunders.com forward slash, Wellhub, I believe you can find out more information. If you have any more questions about anything about that, you can reach out to me directly or call in uh, whoever's more accessible uh, and we'll be glad to answer any questions for you. I think we might be doing a live webinar probably sometime this week too. So stay tuned for that. So that's my shameless plug. If you (laughs) want to get in, it's a, it's, it's a great opportunity. Obviously we're biased, but we, we know without a doubt, this is going to make huge waves. Throughout upstream.
0: Oh, absolutely. And, you know, we're talking about all this big data and, and, you know, I, I think big data is going to massively change the industry, but there's definitely shortcomings into that. There's barriers and s- some of the, the barriers that we're seeing is that there's not qualified people in the industry to carry out this, this transformation that we're about to see. And actually Aspen technology came out with a survey that they surveyed 400 energy industry managers and executives. And while they found that these technologies can have significant cost savings of 16% or more, they found that nearly half of all the respondents in the survey said that the biggest problem was, is that they didn't have the personnel for it, specifically people with data science expertise. So there's this massive opportunity for people out in the industry. Jake, you know, we we've seen this with Wellhub where you cannot find a lot of people, very few people that have oil and gas experience and data science experience or programming experience. So there's this huge opportunity sitting in oil and gas where if you have oil and gas experience, you can go take some classes and all of a sudden you're putting yourself in position to really succeed. So on that same survey these are some statistics from it for the top barriers to adopting data analytics. So 44% of the respondents selected that lack of in-house expertise was the biggest barrier. The next one was the cost of data analytics at 42% of respondents. The lack of production data was number three, lack of confidence and benefits organizational resistance, and then other barriers accounted for the rest. So there's definitely, you know, we see there the lack of confidence and benefits. This is just the oil and gas industry, you know, being the typical oil and gas industry, they're resistant to change. They've always, you know, you've had these periods in time where technologies are being sold that are subpar. Especially in the software side, the softwares that are out there now, they're clunky, you know, they may do one thing particularly well, but they're not a a full uh, in solution. So, you know, there's definitely understanding of why the companies are resistant to adopt them.
1: Yeah. You know, like, especially on the cost of data analytics, I mean, if, if you look at the way that things have traditionally been done, if each department has five or six different licenses for different pieces of software, and you multi- multiply that across every department, that becomes very, very expensive. And like you said, you know, Usually, there's a lot of pieces of software that, you know, probably do what what they do one function very very well, uh, hopefully, but that's about it. And that that in itself has created a whole new set of problems. You know, it's the lack of integration. It's the lack of having comprehensive visibility into your operations to be able to make those quick game time decisions. I like to call it.
0: And then they have to, you know, when you have all these different systems, you have to pay consultants to come in and make in house integrations to try to tie all the information together and maintaining so it. You, and- yeah. You you know, so, I mean, this is what we've seen is that these companies are being sold a solution, but then the solution comes with seven people that have to be hired to manage that. There hasn't been a solution that does everything. And
1: <laughs> At $120 an hour and six heads, you know, yeah, it's like, yeah.
0: you know, it's got to be able to be scalable and, yeah. and streamlined. You're not doing these companies any favors if you're making the problem more complex for them.
1: As far as the lack of production data at 33%, that just kind of blows my mind. But once again, it, it's kind of the same problems. Lack of confidence and benefits, I think that is... I think we're we're, we're definitely on the, on the downside of that. I think especially three or four years ago whenever with my last company we were going and talking with, with companies there was a huge education process uh, for having to like get them to understand why they really needed it. You know, everybody was scared. Oil had just dropped from 100 to like 80 at that point uh, and then obviously it went further and further all the way down to like 28. So, but I, I think people are more aware now and I think part of it is it's a cultural shift. We're seeing a lot of younger guys in these positions where they're making these business decisions. They're familiar with, they've grown up with technology. They've grown up with smartphones. They've grown up and they've, they've seen, they've seen the invention of the internet all the way to the points where we are now. And so they're like, then, well, why can't we take that same tech and, that's the thing. I and mean, bring look, it to our jobs?
0: Look, we're 28 years old. You know, I think the iPhone came out when we were seniors in high school. So we've had access to a smartphone for the last decade. And we're starting to see a shift where younger, you know, around 30 years old are starting to take leadership positions in in and And they're used to having user friendly softwares and devices you know, they're used to having an app that runs seamlessly to uh, solve a problem. So I think that you're seeing a major culture shift just in the workforce that's going to be more willing to adopt these these new softwares and technologies.
1: Yeah, Exactly. And so uh, from an ROI perspective, you know, I think one of the biggest questions that all these operators have is, you know, can you know, data analytics, can artificial intelligence, can machine learning, any of this, this new technology out there, can it really drive a return on investment for producers and capital providers? And so we, we have an article here from the oil and gas investor, Barry Zhang, I guess he's the founder and CEO of uh, Quantico Energy Solutions was talking. And so he's, he's quoted in saying, I hope I can shed some light on AI. The oil and gas industry has employed significant computing power in certain disciplines, such as seismic interpretation, but is not tapped the large financial returns possible via data analytics and other multiple disciplines. And I think a lot of this kind of goes back to obviously kind of going right back to, you know, having all your information in one in one place and having also clean data. That's one thing we have. You
0: you can't do anything with machine learning or artificial intelligence if you don't have clean data. And so
1: that's crap in and crap out. You (laughs) know what I mean?
0: Exactly. So, uh, you know, once you're once the solutions are there to centralize all the data, then you'll be able to run machine learning, uh, any type of artificial intelligence to extract insight and analytics from that data. And, you know, there are agile upstream. They're running artificial intelligence in the, in the title and lease sector. And they're able to do in a few days, what it would take a whole land department to do in one year with 97% accuracy. I think he said it was a few, I think he said it was 45 seconds. Well, he, they could, they can move uh, through, I can't remember the number off the top of my head, but it was like 15 something. I, I can't remember, but it was they, they ran through a lot of leases. If you're interested, but, go
1: talk to the Agile apps. Yeah, yeah. We're probably, we're probably butchering their, yeah. their value proposition, yeah. but they're, they're cool guys, cool team.
0: They have some really cool Yeah, tech. but extremely accurate technology that they're using. And I think there's definitely a place for artificial intelligence, but it just comes down to being able to have clean data to run it off of.
1: Yeah. And especially if you want to train these machine learning machine learning modules. You got to have this clean data and you've got to be able to train it properly. And so if you just have tons of crap data, I'm sorry, but you can have the greatest machine learning in the world, but it's not really going to do anything. When I was at
0: Denver energy tech showcase, I met with a startup ambient and they are a artificial intelligence that looks to optimize your pumping. So, you know, they'll, they'll hook up their hardware on your pump jack and it reads data and makes it more efficient. And, you know, that's a pretty good use case because what's more repetitive than a pump jack going up and down, you know, <laughs> for all days. So that's a, another good use case. I think we're in the very early stages of seeing that sector come out, but I, I think it'll. Be a good one.
1: So one of the uh, the stats in this article was that uh, McKinsey had done a study and said one of the biggest areas of improvement is in production operations, where the ROI could be twenty five to twenty eight percent range. Wow, which is absolutely amazing. Those are those are huge numbers. This is not one or two percent. You know, this is this is definitely more than a quarter. So Zane kind of went on to to give several different examples of where data. Uh, can be analyzed. Obviously, one was in drilling. We've seen tons of AI stuff being uh, trying to to be applied in in drilling. You know, you said that rig control systems can record around 7,000 measurements per second. So analyzing that, a vast amount of data uh, would allow you to pinpoint flaws and irregularities and can reduce expensive operational snags and create proper real-time analysis of data that could also replace costly functions as wireline logs and drill bit trips. Another big thing in AI, we've, which we've seen multiple times, is also on the subsurface geology side, and the interaction with fracking and drilling of the rock uh, reservoirs. So there's they're said to be as much as a twenty percent cost savings potential in improving the predictability of drilling and completing the wells.
0: And actually, the Society of Petroleum Engineers released an article saying that Total and Google Cloud are teaming up for mm. artificial intelligence operations in their in their upstream sector. And, you know, another one of those use cases where they're looking to use it, you know, to assist their geoscience engineers. I think that there's a, a lot of, you know, you look at these well logs, any type of seismic. And I think that there is so much data there, especially if you looked at, look at a centralized location where you have enough data to input to where machine learning could really extract some useful insight out of those formations.
1: One of the things I like from that article is it says uh, our ambition is to give our geoscience engineers an AI personal assistant in the next few years that will free them up to focus on high value added task. Yes. You know, I think people like Gary and Chuck have been saying it over like the past year, but I think voice is definitely going to be the next frontier. We've seen, like if you go into a Best Buy these days, there's an entire section in Best Buy. I don't know if you've seen it, but they've got like Google Home and they've got like the Amazon Echoes. And oh, they've yeah. got like They're moving this whole, into like, our house. Robots are going to take over. It's crazy. <laughs> you know, but do you think about it? Imagine if you were able to do what you do with Siri, but within your day job, if you can make these declarative statements, you know, hey give me a a quick breakdown of, you know, my top 10 producing wells or, you know, hey, whatever your AI assistant's called, let's call him Jarvis, you know, hey, which, which wells do you think I should divest? You know, if we were looking to divest a well of, you know, say, we we're going to cut maybe 20% of the total wells that we have that we're currently operating, you know, how cool would it be, you know, for artificial intelligence to be able to just interact with you like that and answer very, very complex questions, but, you know, having all that data on hand and being able to train those models appropriately. Yeah. It's crazy. It's super exciting. I mean, we're obviously yeah. getting super hyped up talking about yeah, it.
0: I mean, When you're looking at artificial intelligence and the possibilities that are open with it, it's
1: really cool. But
0: to be honest, I think there's a technology that will affect the industry more than artificial intelligence, and that's blockchain. And we had an article from the SPE regarding blockchain. The article was called, Will Blockchain Become the New Operational Backbone in Energy? And if you ask me my personal opinion, it's 100% yes. I think that blockchain is going to revolutionize every aspect of oil and gas from upstream, midstream downstream. And I don't think that there'll be a technology that can touch what it will do, not even machine learning or artificial intelligence. So
1: I think, I think a lot of us there the industry doesn't necessarily understand its true potential. And, you know, they, they, there's a few companies who kind of want to be on the, on the bleeding edge and, and maybe they are, you know, this is kind of just our, our personal insight. We've kind of seen that, you know, some companies have some initiatives to where they're starting to research blockchain and stuff. But nothing has truly been done so far that's really caught our attention yeah. um, compared to the medical industry, compared to the financial industry, compared to just about anywhere else. Right. I think people are still really trying to figure out, okay, where can this be applied? And I, one, one thing I'm kind of curious about is, is I, th- I think it's going to be applied, but a big part of blockchain is decentralization. And I think oil and gas is going to have a huge problem with that especially from a because essentially decentralization you're giving away control in a way you know especially looking at it from a governance perspective and you're entrusting a lot of i mean it's it's a lot of trust into the community that is on the blockchain right and,
0: and you know you look at this article from the spe and they said you know how how are some ways that blockchain can benefit the oil and gas industry and they had listed energy transactions, regulatory reporting and compliance, asset optimization across sectors and global supply networks. So how about we talk about energy transactions real quick? You know, I know in that article, it mentioned that BP, Shell and StatOil actually announced a joint development of a blockchain based digital platform for energy trading. You know, this, the thing in energy transactions is this would provide a platform for executing and recording the transactions and for tracking the ownership as assets change hands before settlement. So, you know, you don't have any middlemen to go through. It, it would make the process of these super majors, you know, when they're transferring between each other, it would make it seamless and, and very efficient form
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think, I think that's, it's probably one of, the, one of the best use cases that we've seen so far. Are there any other use cases that come to mind that you have or haven't seen? So,
0: what i think is going to be really big for blockchain is regulatory because
1: yeah i think yeah
0: when we look at oil and gas at least in america we know that sometimes oil and gas operators aren't completely transparent in their reportings with blockchain that'll enable transparency between the regulators the emp's and the citizens that have you know access to that data so i think on a trust level You know, a a lot of people outside of oil and gas don't trust oil and gas companies. I think blockchain can really be a trust layer for the oil and gas industry to make sure that we have transparent reporting and make sure that everything is done in a good light.
1: And if you're kind of lost on exactly what blockchain is in in this regard, just to kind of walk through the regulatory scenario, on average, I would say that what is actually produced and what is actually reported uh, is probably two to three percent difference. That's just my experience. That's what I've seen. And so if you were able to put all of the production information, accounting information into this immutable ledger, a ledger that can never change, it goes into the abyss that is known as the blockchain and it is there forever. It can never be changed. And then this can seamlessly be be transmitted to the regulatory agency. So then now we know this is a hundred percent what the numbers were, right? And then we have that for all time. And then think about it from a regulatory reporting standpoint, that's an absolute nightmare. That's why these companies have, mm-hmm. you know, most operators have, you know, entire regulatory department, especially if you're dealing with, you know, if you have operations in multiple states, everybody requires it in different formats. The websites are completely different. It's in different intervals. Sometimes you're reporting at the lease level. Sometimes it's at the well level. Sometimes it's at the field level, you know? And so it's, it's really hard to keep up with all of that. And so another thing you could do with that is also Kind of build in, possibly smart contracts to mm-hmm. say that you know, hey, based on certain conditions, you know, say, hey, you know, if if a well has been shut in for X amount of days in certain states, you lose the lease. You can kind of have that to where you can send reminders and all that kind of stuff.
0: Yeah, And uh, another sector that the SP touched on, which I think will be a big one, also is the global supply network. So we've already seen some blockchain-based companies, you know, like ShipChain get in the shipping mm-hmm. and logistics. There's a lot of shipping and logistics and oil and gas. So imagine with blockchain, you know, you, you could trace oil from the second that it came out of the ground to when it was sent down the pipeline to the refineries, converted into fuel. And, you know, you go to fill up your car and there would be a traceable ledger from where that oil was pulled from to the second that it was you know, to the gas station to be in your car. So it brings a lot of transparency to the process, the transport cuts down, honestly, it'd probably be bring down gas prices overall when you're, you're cutting out a, a lot of theft, a mm. lot of lost product and just overall cutting out a lot of middlemen.
1: So let's talk about some of the barriers to adoption of blockchain. I think the number one right off the bat is going to be culture. Yeah. And, and just, and just, just Plain, not understanding the technology.
0: Yeah, and I mean, rightfully so. I mean, you go back to the early '90s, and you know, people—you'd say you were sending an email, and nobody would know what the hell you were talking about. And that's kind of what we're looking at today with blockchain. I think in ten years, blockchain will be in everybody's life in a in a great capacity. So, I think that culture will change. I also think that there's some technological barriers as far as scalable blockchains. Right now, we're in the infancy of this technology. And we're still trying to figure out how we can build protocols and blockchain that are are scalable for companies to use at large scale. Yeah,
1: I agree. Definitely. So last on the tech articles, we've got uh, BP is using drones for offshore inspections. Yeah, this one, this one was cool. I saw that
0: they're, (laughs) they're actually at OTC. This article was from uh, biz journals and BP is using drones and crawlers to do their riser inspections out in the Gulf of Mexico. So they said that they're going to pilot it out on all their wells in Gulf of Mexico. And then they plan on taking the technology worldwide to all of their rigs. And they said that the drones would replace specialized contractors who currently perform the inspections, but overall that will increase efficiencies and reduce costs for them. So it's way safer it's way safer too um, yeah and in you look at it and, you know, i mean every service contractor that you have on a deep water rig is costing you a good amount of money so you yeah, know we, we got to watch out the the robots are taking over so this is a, a use case where bp is trying to you know put a robot to take your job but on that same note, you know, they need people to operate them. So there'll yep. be positions for
1: that as well. Exactly. So speaking of offshore, the next article is talking about private equity money is starting to flow to offshore again. Yeah. So we're seeing a lot more money flowing in offshore. And the main reason is just plain and simple that there's a lower breakeven price, which has reached about $52 a barrel, according to the CEO of uh, Venari Resources. Yeah. There's,
0: you know, the, the break, breakeven price is coming down. Also, technology that it's been advanced. A lot of subsea tiebacks are economically viable now where they weren't in the past. So this is looking at attractive to private equity. Also, just, you know, new efficiencies and higher reliability that cal- cuts down downtime. So big driver of why private equity is coming in. The barriers to private equity investment offshore is that it takes large capital requirements. And I mean, an offshore well is planned, you know, that's years from the time that it's planned to the time that it's actually producing. So private equity doesn't like to have capital tied up for that, that amount of time. So the benefits have to really make sense to them before they uh, invest in a
1: project like that. Yep. So speaking of big money, Marathon Petroleum is buying Endeavor for more than $23 billion. So 23 it is $3 billion. Dollars, huh? It's M a season. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> you, so before we got on the mic, Colin was telling me that marathon petroleum corp is actually different from marathon oil and gas. I guess that they had actually broke up, broke apart. And so this is the, the downstream sector of yeah, um, and, marathon. Yeah. I read in 2011 that marathon petroleum was
0: spun off from marathon oil. So I, I wasn't aware of that to be honest. And, uh, says Marathon Petroleum has uh, two massive refineries in the Houston area, one in Galveston Bay and one in Texas City. So really interesting. I'm not the uh, most well-versed person when it comes to refining. Uh, It's a little more downstream for me, but
1: huge acquisition for a San Antonio-based endeavor. Yeah, definitely. What's up with these oil prices. I know you and I are pretty happy, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> these oil prices are looking pretty good. It's never a bad day in the office our, when oil prices are climbing up. So. I know our investors are pretty thrilled. So. so obviously, you know, Trump has ended the Iran deal. And so there's a lot of speculation as to, you know, what is that going to do for oil prices? And of course, over the past few days, we've seen it jump up. I think it's reached as high as probably seventy-two, and it's kind of been fluctuating. Yeah, and
0: I think you know a lot of you know
1: obviously what we're seeing
0: there—speculation in the markets. So it's going to be a little volatile when you when you have any big news like that come out. All all your traders in the future market are going to be manipulating the price a bit. But overall, you know, based off of information from the uh, IEA, you know, I think that we're about to get put in a bull run on oil, regardless of what happens with I think so, the too. situation. So yeah, be interesting to see what plays out.
1: Because the U S is reimposing all nuclear related sanctions on Iran. And, but that's, it's kind of over a, what we would call a wind down period over the next 90 and 180 days before the sanctions really start to kick in. So, I mean, obviously the price is jumping around based on purely on speculation right now, but we'll really see where the price is going to go. And I agree. I think, I think oil is going to push higher. I'm not really going to complain about it. Yeah. Let's bring it back to,
0: uh, some domestic oil that's uh you had a really interesting article that we talked about back in our in our office about the bottlenecks and the permian mm-hmm. you want to talk about that one a little bit
1: yeah so this has kind of been obviously the permian seems like it's like the the topic of conversation every time we do an episode and and colin and i went to the the merger market forum was it last week it was last yeah week. yeah last one and obviously there's still just so much hype uh in the permian we don't necessarily understand it. The margins are slimmer. There's so much competition. Uh, and then this article, once again, just kind of gives us a stat that kind of just blows our mind. You know, so the, the, so much oil is being produced at the Permian right now that there is not enough pipeline to really ship this ship this oil. And so we're seeing that since the pipeline capacity has been squeezed so much that some of the oil in Midland is being uh, traded at a $16 a barrel discount compared to what's here in Houston. Yeah. Which absolutely blows my mind. So you're already you're coming in, you're paying a huge premium for the acreage. You're competing with all of the biggest players in the Permian. And then on top of that, you can't get your oil out of there. And so you're gonna you're gonna sell your oil at a sixteen dollar per barrel discount. And the mar, the margins in the Permian are already super, super slim. Yeah. It's just you know, reliable. Yeah, and you know you can punch a hole in the ground I and you went permian and hit oil. So
0: this is why I have no interest in competing in the Permian. Um, no. the, the the competition is so heavy out there. Profit margins are slim and, you know, the Permian has a ton of infrastructure, but there's so much overload on it right now. And I think, you know, we actually had an article pulled up from oilprice.com showing that it says energy transfer partners plan 6,000 barrel per day Permian oil pipeline. So you're going to start seeing a lot more of these, these pipeline deals coming in. And this one in particular was from energy transfer partners. They're going to build this 600,000 barrel per day oil pipeline from the Permian to Houston's shipping channel. So, you know, this, this is the type of infrastructure that's needed out in the Permian right now because mm-hmm. we're, we're producing all this oil, but we have no way to transport it to refineries, so it's not uh, much good for us right now.
1: Yep, exactly. And you know, like we said, you know, you and I are definitely, uh, it seems to be contrarians. It seems to be common sense to me. You make better margins than a lot of other plays. Yeah. And a lot of other areas are undercapitalized now that everybody's putting all their capital into the yeah. Permian. Everybody's so.
0: everybody's situation and portfolio is different. But yeah, it's definitely a competitive market out there. And there's uh, some bottlenecks and challenges that they got to get over. But sure, they'll get it figured out. Lots of money flowing out in the Permian. There's
1: definitely, they definitely have no shortage of money flowing in the Permian. <laughs> so. All right, guys. Well, that wraps it up for the stories. Obviously, today was very tech heavy. So if you liked it, let me know. If you didn't like it, sorry. So if you want to win, I know we're not announcing the Red Wing bag winners anymore, but if you want to win your own Red Wing bag, uh, Red Wing is our wonderful sponsor. In case you didn't know, you can go to redwingshoes.com slash podcast. There's no purchase necessary. You can see the official site for rules and details. It's a great bag. You can I I win it since I'm just a guest on the show. Might Am be I still eligible? You <laughs> might be able to win it. It's funny. You can win a bag, but now you'll never go offshore again. Unless yeah, we, that's right. <laughs> unless we go buy some offshore wells, then maybe, yeah. <laughs> then maybe we'll need to. Let's take a look at the uh, weekly rig count real quick from Drilling Info. I think we're sitting at probably close to 1100 Oh, we're at exactly 1100 Called it. So this is the highest that we've seen the rig count, uh, at least in the last two years since we've been tracking it. So, I mean, that's great. Recounts going up, you know, rigs are also getting more efficient. Let's not forget that there's not necessarily any uh, efficiency markers that are being reported, but you can look at that information, regulatory commission. You can see that, you know, rigs are getting the job done a lot quicker than before events on deck. So like we talked about, if you if you didn't come out to the last uh, happy hour we threw, we had, we actually expanded upon that. It was an oil and gas tech funding panel. We had a very large amount of people come out to yeah, great um, time. colonize office at WeWork. I want to say we probably had two hundred people show up at least. Yeah, it's crazy. Probably. I think we, we had nearly four hundred RSVPs. Yeah, uh, it was, had,
0: had a bunch of people show up, free beer, free pizza. You know, it's pretty hard to beat that when you yeah. get free beer and free pizza and network with a ton of great people in the oil and gas space. So I think uh, these these events are just going to keep getting better and better. So make sure you make it out.
1: Yeah, very high quality. And, and Colin and I have been to, like, seems like every networking event possible in, in oil and gas. We wanted to do something different, something that was more casual, something that was very high quality. And I will say that we have made very, very valuable connections every time that uh, we've had these events. Obviously it's only been like twice so far, but these two have been very impactful for us personally. And we've heard lots of other good success stories, people coming out and saying, Hey, this is amazing. You know, thanks for, thanks for putting this on. So the next event. So for this month is going to be, I believe it's going to be on May 29th. It's going to be at our office again. And we work Galleria, uh, it's attached to the the actual gallery itself. It's in one of the towers there. We will put a link in the show notes. Once again, free beer, free pizza. We've already got sponsors. There's probably going to be a significant amount of people again. So please come out and join us. In the future, we will be doing more of the more specialized events. So we'll probably do more tech funding panels. We'll probably do maybe some Shark Tank type stuff. It seems like there was a lot of interest around that. And obviously, that's kind of like right in the, in the in the the center of you know what we are doing and Colin and I are doing especially in the in the tech industry and in oil and gas. So speaking of that there's another event May 30th and 31st at the Hilton Post Oak here in Houston is the 4th annual Data Driven Drilling and Production Conference. So there's over 500 attendees have already uh, signed up and registered. There are 200 plus already confirmed operator delegates from 65 different companies, uh, 60 plus senior speakers, 40 exhibitors and four interactive workshops. Pretty much all the operators are going to be there. All the service companies are going to be there, and a lot of tech companies are going to be there. That should be a good time. Colin and I are going to be there as well. So if you want to come out and chat with us, we'll be there. If you want to register and get a discount, you can use the code OGGN and you get $300 off your registration. Nice. If you want any more event details, Mark has a uh, newsletter that he's been doing for since the the beginning of time. Uh, (laughs) It's the most comprehensive list of oil and gas events out there. He doesn't spam you. There's a link in the show notes. You can click that sign up first Friday Q and a, we literally just recorded one. So if you want to ask a question for the next month's first Friday Q and a, there's a link in the show notes, click that, ask a question. We'll hope that we can answer it. Get involved in the community. We have a LinkedIn group. I don't know how active LinkedIn group has been in lately, but you can always connect with us on LinkedIn. Colin's yep. always making controversial posts. So I'm you can on, go and find I'm on there. LinkedIn.
0: That's the place to find me.
1: <laughs> so uh, I guess this is the part where we close the show. So right. any closing remarks?
0: No, it was a great show. Stay tuned for the show that Jake and I are releasing
1: on the OGGN soon. It's going to be a good one. All right. So here's what Mark says. Remember, folks, do great work. Pay it forward. And we'll see you next time. Take care. Tune in next week for another informative and entertaining episode of Oil & Gas
0: This Week podcast, a product of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at oilandgasthisweek.com.